is the new Baywatch movie set in Clacton-on-Sea. Yes, I'll be on your show. How much is the fee? I've just done TED, but we're recording this before I went to TED, so here are some speculative TED anecdotes. When Serena Williams and I were hanging out, oh, Elon Musk said the funniest thing. (laughs) Probably all that just happened. All that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, if you do stay trapped in Vancouver for the next few months, then you might bump into an anonymous lady who has been in touch who says, "Uh, this summer I'm going to be moving across the country, Canada, for a job. She might be moving the other direction. She might be. She might be going to Newfoundland. She doesn't specify where she lives in Canada or where she's moving to in Canada. In fact, this email is frustratingly sparing on details. But she does say, I am moving back to the same place and job I had last summer. It just so happens to be in the mountains. Lovely. I'm wondering which job that's mountain-based just so happens to be mountain-based. A sort of summer resort job at... Lake Louise or Whistler or something. Like you wouldn't say it just happens to be in the mountains if you were a mountain ski instructor, would you? Because it would have to be in the mountains. Yeah, but if she was doing a summer job as a ski instructor, then she'd probably not be doing much ski instructing. That That is also true, yeah. Let's say she sells ice creams to hikers in Banff. Fine. Anonymous lady continues. Uh, this summer, I am planning on hiking to the summit of one of these mountains. Ooh. And this presents my dilemma. I am very excited... And I want to tell my mum. That's a sweet thing to write, isn't Very. it? That's nice. <laughs> but I know that she would be worried about me going on a long hike on my own. So, Helen, answer me this. Will you come with me? No. <laughs> Should I tell my mother about my mountain climbing plans and risk her trying to talk me out of it and potentially giving her undue stress... Or should I wait until after I've done it and then tell her how great it was retrospectively? Hmm. She does say it's not a very big mountain. Okay, cool. And then she lists parenthetically a statistic that I find bewildering. Yeah. 2,766 metres in elevation. Puny. It doesn't sound small to me. It sounds quite big. It's the biggest mountain that I would have ever climbed, but maybe in your world, not a big mountain. When did you ever climb a mountain? When I was 10, I went on a school summer expedition to the Lake District and I had to be led along on a lead like a dog because I might fall off. Anyway, this is a significant mountain, but she says it will only take a total of 12 hours to do. She knows three other people who have done the same climb and she grew up in bear country and therefore knows quite a bit about safety around wildlife. Yeah, sure. It's that kind of thing, though, that doesn't reassure your mother. Presumably she knows that you know bear safety because Mm. she raised you in a bear-rich region Mm. i think it helps that this mountain is somewhere you've been to before and survived because i think the familiar is less threatening seeming well i think from that point of view it is significant that she was brought up in bear country because just the very fact that it's in canada i'm not giving us a very big country very but nonetheless it's not as foreign as if you were to say i want to go hiking through the desert of saudi arabia like you know she will understand what a mountain in canada roughly is like and probably has some experience of people who have done things like that herself. What I'm wondering, anonymous lady, did you do any mountain adventures last summer? And if so, do you have photos that you can show her of you safely on the mountain? Preferably ones where the terrain looks quite gentle and non-threatening. And there's not a bear in the background. Exactly, because then your mother's mental picture will be of that and not of the worst possible scenario. Sure, that's clever, yeah. Um, Don't show her that film with James Franco where he saws off his own arm. Absolutely not. But she's not going to Utah. She's safely going to be in Canada. Sure. But I think, yeah, you should tell her because you want to. And I think you'll enjoy the hike more with that not on your conscience. But also just in case you do die or get injured, she'll she'll be very upset that you didn't tell her. Well, that's true. Although at that point, she will be more upset that you're dead than that you didn't tell her you were going to go and do the thing that then killed you. Well, then the problem is if you have an accident and you don't die, she'll be angry at you. Yes, then you have to have that conversation in the hospital. Yeah, and and you will have had an, an accident. So it's a bad scenario. She'll be, she'll be pleased that you survived. Yeah, actually, but I mean, you know, I don't want to get into a very deep conversation about the afterlife here. Uh, but if you have any consciousness of it at all after you've died, mm-hmm. uh, you would be pissed off that you didn't tell your mother you were going. Yeah. Because you didn't give your mother the opportunity to say to you whatever she might want to say, knowing that you're going on a trip that might risk your life. You know, so you could regret it yourself mm. in a celestial way. But obviously, I think downplay the elevation of the mountain. You could just be a bit vague about it and say, I've got some lovely hikes planned. Maybe you could allude to the idea that they're not solo hikes. Mm. I mean, take a hiking buddy. Is that impossible? Yeah, what is the business about going by yourself? I wonder if that is just 
Perhaps our correspondent likes to be alone amongst nature. Some oh, people... splendid. But you could think about sharing it with another mountain-minded person. Or a hiking group. And you could just hang back or rush ahead so that you don't have to speak to them. Hmm. Or wear obnoxiously large headphones. Well, on to another wild animal. Hi, it's Asa from Ashford. Uh, Helen and Molly, answer me this. Um, is fox edible? Because I've just hit one. Yes, it is. If you want proof... Philip Schofield ate someone this morning a little while ago, prepared by the chair of the RSPB. Wow. Yeah. Why? I mean, why would a bird expert come on a daytime TV show and kill Anita Fox? Well, I don't think she killed it on air. Right. I think she probably brought it in. I think, I can't remember why now. I think maybe it was to prove that you can eat roadkill. And uh, I mean, he like survived. all these things, it was really just so that you could see a dead fox being cooked, wasn't it? And just so the same as the testicular exam is really about seeing someone's scrotum. Right. And so that you can see Philip Schofield doing something where you can go, oh, Philip. And Holly can go, ah, <laughs> yeah. um, And he said it tasted gamey. Yes. But evidently, he's still alive. Yes, that you couldn't fake that. Not, not, not for three hours of live yeah. television a day. But I would say if you're going to try this, there are some things to bear in mind. So first of all, if you've just freshly killed it, as Asa has, mm. you could take it home and prep it because it's very lean and organic meat. If you see a dead fox by the road, yes. it may be putrid. Yeah, and I, I imagine there are easy ways to detect that. But uh, if for yeah. some reason those elude you, what are you looking for? Apart uh, from the flies swarming around it and the terrible smell. <laughs> I, I, I think really that the thing is, though, raw fox meat smells horrific. Um, what does it smell of? Just judging by what a fox's piss smells like. Imagine yes. what its flesh smells like. Good point. A fox pissed in my trainers once, and not only was I <laughs> unable to ever wear them again, but after I tried to wash the smell out in oh, my washing machine, no. I very nearly considered throwing my washing machine away. <laughs> so in order to get rid of the smell in the flesh, people used to soak it overnight uh, in streams. And now they might brine it overnight, um, which also helps because it's very lean meat and lean meat is often tough. So brining might make it more tender. And then you probably want to cook it with something a bit fatty like um, like lardons. Stew seems to be what most people will make with fox meat. I think I think you can adapt recipes that are for venison or goat where you've got similar problems of leanness and toughness okay when it comes to whether or not an animal is edible i mean a sort of rough rubric as far as i can work out is if it's a fish check very carefully whether it's edible because there's quite a few sort of sea things. yeah but if it's a land mammal i mean it's a bit disgusting but as far as i can work out there's basically only polar bears that you're not supposed to eat because their livers are toxic wow wow i would find it unlikely that i would be able to hunt and kill a polar bear but even if i did my first thought wouldn't be chop liver like I'd think about other parts of that animal first. Yeah, but then if the, you... The Jewish polar bear hunter in the Arctic. <laughs> if you'd gone as far as killing the polar bear, I think you'd eat all of it. If you were in the Arctic, you might well go for the liver because that is a very nutrient-heavy organ. So that might actually be what you went for first. Uh, well, don't. And, and then, That's my advice. And then butchered the rest of it. Um, and the other one, apparently, to avoid is the hawksbill turtle. Oh, why? I don't know, but it poisons poisons you somehow. And it's you can ah. identify it from the turtles that you can eat that are delicious by the fact that it has yellow polka dots on its neck. I'll remember that next time so, I'm in Pret-a-Manger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything I know about eating animals that are bad for you is from, I learnt from Naked and Afraid. I've still never seen Naked oh and Afraid. Oh my God, it's such a good show! It's really good. I, just, I mean, I was put off by the title. I don't particularly like being either of those things. Well, you're well, not you, in you, it. That's you, the thing. You're watching other people. You don't have to things. be, yeah. Yeah. And there's someone whose job it is pixelating bum cracks and testicles <laughs> every frame. Are you watching it on box sets? No, it's. Um, I watch it when I go to the USA because there's nearly always, when I'm jet lagged in a hotel room, an eight hour naked and afraid marathon right. on Discovery. I have different shows that I watch on cable TV in America to the ones that I watch here. Oh, I, I, I watched that one about too. tattoos and I watched Which that. one? Tattoo Fixers? Uh, that's come to the Uk since hasn't it no yeah. uh, tattoo master I think or tattoo there are a bunch aren't there tattoo king I don't know LA Inc tattoo one. idol yeah, yeah one of those and then I watch um <laughs> that guy idol. That used I'm to... a tattoo get me out of here <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched that one with the guy that used to be fat but now isn't anymore because he stopped doing competitive eating going around oh, and eating burritos Adam, Adam, Richmond. Adam Richmond yes yeah my other jet lag favorite is uh say yes to the dress on TLC which is kind of hypnotically tedious mm -hmm. because I do not understand wedding dresses at all and the appeal and yet every time it's just a woman has arrived to get a wedding dress and either she leaves with one she likes or she leaves with no wedding dress or she comes back and she either likes or doesn't like the one she bought eight months ago right yeah. and that's it sort of homes under the hammer style is it just so finely sort of Not that set desperate. to a formula that I love a bit of homes under the hammer <laughs> here's a question from Callum who says 
I was recently watching Roald Dahl's Most Marvellous Book on Channel 4, and obviously one of the books featured in the list was George's Marvellous Medicine, which got me thinking, Helen, answer me this. Would the Marvellous Medicine have killed someone? What does it have in it? Well, let's look at the uh, recipe, shall we? One bottle of golden gloss hair shampoo. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine most shampoo, even the herbal stuff, is not going to be great for you. One tube of toothpaste... You can eat that, but it would not make you feel good. One can of super foam shaving soap. Mm-hmm. Imagine the same problems as shampoo. Soap yeah. is not easy to digest happily. One jar of vitamin-enriched face cream. Mm-hmm. Especially petroleum. One jar of hair remover. That's well, likely that, to be quite toxic. That, that doesn't sound good. One large tin of waxel floor polish. Floor polish softened carcinogenic. One tin of curry powder. That's okay. Not okay. toxic, but that's a lot of curry powder. Yeah. One bottle of extra hot chilli sauce. Ditto. Yes. Four bottles of animal pills. What's that, ketamine? I think the point is here, though, you could have a, a tincture of this and you would be okay. One large tin of brown paint. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's... If, if everything else didn't carry you off, that will. Well, isn't the, isn't the sort of conceit that some of these ingredients are going to react in some way to... To, to denature their poisonousness and create things that the human body can digest. There's just about enough of the sort of fabulidi, wishously, washously mm-hmm. type language in the way those ingredients are constructed yeah. that you know that it's a spoof, that it's a joke, that it's creative. Like it's, I find it so fascinating with Dahl's books, the extent to which... Because they're all really cruel, right? Danny Champion of the World is cruel to pheasants, but not as sadistic towards humans as a lot of them are. Well, it's adults, isn't it? I mean, yeah. he is sometimes cruel to children, but it's normally adults being cruel to children and kids getting their own back. That's no, quite no. a common theme. Well, okay, no, so that's the crucial thing. So I read a biography of uh, Roald Dahl once, which in fairness was a slightly muckrakey, Roald Dahl was an anti-Semite type biography, mm-hmm. but it was a good academic one. And it went through the original drafts of, of Dahl's books. And it showed how his publisher at Jonathan Cape would come back with criticism that nullified some of those issues which as a parent you'd just be like I can't have my child read this it just tipped it so like the, like the Oompa Loompas and whether they're sort of colonial creatures that's an example hmm. you know whether they're African pygmies for example that was dialed down right. but like an example that sticks in my mind is Fantastic Mr Fox so Fantastic Mr Fox is a story about a fox going to steal a chicken kill and eat a chicken okay. from a neighbouring farm and basically the editor said you can't write a whole book about how great it is to go into your neighbor's garden, mm. steal their stuff, oh, and kill it. Yeah. So there's that whole business about Boris Bunsen Bean or whatever they're called, the nasty Boggis farmers. Boggis and Bunsen Bean. Boggis one Bunsen short, Bean. one fat, one lean. There we go. Three horrible crooks, so differently looks, none less equally mean. Wow, how's my brain hung on to that? <laughs> I haven't read this book for like 30 years. That's the space that you get, listeners, when you don't uh, watch sport. It's um, still <laughs> wasted. Um, but yeah, so exactly, equally mean, right? So the publisher said... You have to make the farmers evil and they have to have done oh, something. Oh, victim blaming. Yes. They have to have oh. done something to Mr. Fox and his family, which they have. They want to drive him out of their farm. Right. He's a trespasser. And then he has a reason kids to go and think, the chickens. oh, fuck them, I'm going to eat their chickens. And it's to make my kids survive. And actually, it's still a dubious moral. Like, it's saying stealing's okay in some circumstances. Mm. But at least... Well, like Robin Hood. Exactly. At least a parent Another can fox. say, well, you know, some people think they, they can understand why you might want to steal a thing. Mm. It's not just like, let's write a book about how we steal stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, George's Marvelous Medicine is exactly... Like, it's a book about how you kill your grandmother by making a toxic concoction. Yeah. But it's just got enough fantastical fun stuff that you're like, oh, it's a joke. Is that why he does it? Is he, is he trying to, like, poison her? Yeah, because she's done a terrible thing. And I can't remember what the terrible thing is, but it's like, you know, she's she's mean, she's unpleasant. She's just a miserable old You know, guy. she's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she has a beard. <laughs> um, but the book does uh, contain a warning at the beginning saying, do not try to make George's Marvellous Medicine yourselves at home. It could be dangerous. Mm. Uh, but I would have mm. thought that even if the other ingredients are okay, the four jars of animal pills, whatever they are... Mm. That could well, carry it, her off because it could just be worming medicine. Yeah, but I think four jars of any type of pill is going to be right, bad for yeah. you. I had to four buy... jars of paracetamol, you're dead, aren't you? Yeah, I bought one jar of iron supplements, and the pharmacist said, "Don't take them all at once. Yeah. More than one a day, and you're in trouble." Why? What happened? I don't know, but he said the whole jar, which is ninety, could kill you. I think Ooh. even like a tube of Barocca has a warning on it mm. saying, "Don't have more than your recommended daily allowance." You start to fizz. <laughs> That's the way I want to go. <laughs> Me too. If you've got a question. 
then email your question to us to be this podcast at googlemail.com wants to be this podcast at googlemail.com Podcast at Here's an adventure from Nora from Boston, who says, Yesterday, I went to my salon for a haircut. As neither my stylist nor myself are much for small talk, I found myself with a bit of time to take in my surroundings. I had this. I went for my haircut the other week. I was doing local radio in Northampton. Mm -hmm. And I don't like being recognised, generally. It very rarely happens anyway. Really? You don't like it? I don't like it. Why not? Because if people recognise me physically, it's because they've seen me on daytime television. Oh. And if they've seen me on daytime television, they haven't necessarily, in my view, uh, enjoyed my best work. Maybe they were led to daytime television by your best work, so they've really done all of it. No, that doesn't happen. If you happen to be watching a pay-per-review on Lorraine, that's not because you listen to The Modern Man. (laughs) So if I'm at like a podcast event or something or music festival Mm -hmm. and people know me through Answer Me This, that's fine. I don't mind being recognised by you people. You come and say hello, that's fine. Very specific. But I very rarely want to be recognised generally. However, when I do work on Radio Northampton, which can feel like a lonely existence, (laughs) (laughs) you step out of the studio and you feel like, well, I'm big fish, small pond now. I've just hosted three hours on Radio Northampton. Wow, Northampton, check me out, Billy come Big and Bollocks. Get me. Yeah. So I went and got my hair cut after doing a show recently on Radio Northampton. And I really wanted the hairdresser to ask me what I did so that I could say, oh yeah, I've just done a show on Radio Northampton. And then he could say, oh my God, my nan listens to that. God, this is like an episode of Frasier. And he didn't once ask me what I do for a living. When does that ever happen? Hairdressers always ask you that. And I wanted to be a local star in Northampton just for that afternoon. Could you not just drop a few hints like, oh, I've had a really busy morning yeah. at, <laughs> oh. at work. Tell you what. This is a good haircut for radio. The closest he did to small talk was uh, he was asking me whether I thought he should have got the iPhone 7S or the Samsung. You said, well, as a tech expert no, from didn't. Uh, TV I and radio it. and print. I resisted. Jeez. I wanted him to be excited that I'd just been on Radio Northampton playing out George Michael and doing the bouquet call. Yeah, but he'd probably been at work dressing hair and yeah. not listened to that. And isn't, isn't interested. The what call? The bouquet call. It's amazing. Isn't bouquet that quality of blurriness in photographs? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a feature where you call an old woman and you say, Jean, it's a special day, isn't it? And then she goes, oh my God, I'm on the radio. And you say, yep, you're on Radio Northampton because it's your 90th birthday. Do you know who's nominated you, Jean? Is it my daughter? Yes, it's your daughter, because that's the only person you speak to. She's had a tough <laughs> oh, year, hasn't she? Oh, yeah, she's got cancer. It's great. It's a brilliant feature. Wow. Why is the bouquet call? Um, because at the end of the People call, throw up. the person... That, no, it's really, genuinely, I'm, I'm obviously, you know, being flippant about it, but it's actually a genuinely really lovely feature to do, and the kind of thing that local radio does really well. At the end of it, the, the person you've called is allowed, permitted to have as a prize either a bouquet of flowers delivered by a local florist. Oh, or, or they're allowed to look at a bouquet of flowers on Google Images. <laughs> or they get a meal for two in a oh. local establishment. Oh, that's yeah, nice. you go for the meal, right? But yeah. some people don't, they go for the flowers. Hmm. Well, I think if it's a problem to go out, or if you don't have anyone to go with, then you've got the flowers at home for a week. Or if the person that you've called is dead. Because that's the other thing that mm. has happened a few times. Oof. Not to me, but to the presenter that normally presents it that I'm covering for. <laughs> they call up and, and, you know, there's an elderly audience and sometimes they nominate people a month before the call so they then get the oh. date circled in the calendar. Like, hey, can I say, you do it live on air, like the whole feature is that you hear the dialing of the number is, and then the ringtone. Is there not someone in the production team that calls the day before to check that person is still alive? No, because it's supposed to be a surprise and there's like, sometimes it's funny when they're not there or they don't know who you are. But then you call up and pretending to be like, oh, hello, can I speak to Sheila? I'm selling double blazing. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, hello, are you alive? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Hi, I'm calling from Radio Northampton. Just checking you're still alive. Great, okay, no reason why. Anyway, yeah, that has happened, apparently. Okay, well, remember Nora, anyway. She's sitting in her salon in Boston, looking around because they're not chatting. Mm. She says, as I looked around, my gaze alighted on a glass canister with a silver lid, similar in shape and size to an eight-cup French press. Or cafetiere, as we call them here. Absolutely, yeah. But still, uh, nice to have a comparison, isn't it? So we can all imagine exactly what you're looking at. I, I'm getting a mental picture. Thank yeah. you, Nora. Yeah, Very I'm considerate. N- not in Northampton anymore. I'm right there in Boston with you. Well, this is what you're looking at then. Yeah. Rather than coffee, this canister was full of an unnatural blue liquid, as opposed to all of the natural blue liquids. <laughs> water. Yeah, but like... J2O. Think, when, you, when you fill an eight-cup French press with water, it doesn't look that blue. That's right, yeah. It was full of an unnatural blue liquid and a good dozen or so hair combs... Mm. 
and its glass surface was emblazoned with the word Barbicide. Ah. I recollected that I've seen similar, if not identical, containers at virtually every haircutting establishment I've ever visited. From the JC Penney salon I visited as a child, to Fast Phil's Barbershop, where I take my preschool son, to the suburban salon and day spa, where I found myself yesterday. Well, that's a comprehensive survey of salons. You know, no one can say, well, one woman, she doesn't have a wide enough experience of salons to say that it's everywhere. You've seen the world, Nora from Boston. Nora has provided us with a lot of pertinent detail. Yeah. Ollie answered me this. What is this substance that unites high and low coiffure culture? What is in the mysterious fluid called barbicide? How often does the average salon change its canisters? And most importantly, does it do a damn thing to disinfect those combs that get used on multiple clients throughout a hairdresser's day? If you've seen it in every hair salon you've ever been to, I think it's reasonable to assume that it's at least an okay working product, isn't it? I don't know. A lot of myths get repeated, don't they? Uh, Okay. There was actually, believe it or not, legislation until quite (gasps) recently in quite a lot of the states of America that every hairdressing salon had to use Barbicide, which is interesting because it is a brand. It's it's not a generic type of product. Barbicide! Um, Sounds like you've made it a doll, doesn't it? It does, yes, exactly. (laughs) Can you get different flavours and colours of Barbicide, I wonder? There are other brands that are owned by the parent company, which is still a family business, Mm -hmm. uh, owned by the son of the person who started it. (laughs) Harold Barbicide. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, Barbicide itself is just the one product. Okay. Uh, And the active ingredient, to answer the question directly, uh, what is the mysterious fluid? The active ingredient is benzalconium chloride, Mm. um, which essentially... Uh, means that it's a, it's a disinfectant for grooming tools, yeah. Mm. Um, but it's a really powerful one um, that is even a viricide effective against HIV. Gosh! Oh. Um, so quite valuable, obviously, for a salon that might be nipping people's necks by mistake whilst they're chopping your hair and well, Also, you look, your scalp, there's a lot of blood vessels there. Yeah. Um, I've never seen this, though. And no. I, don't, I don't know whether this is an American thing only, but I had a haircut this morning... And I your saw... hair, your, both your hair looks... No, I don't mean both the hairs on your head. I mean both your <laughs> both, hair, Helen, two of them. and your hair, Martin. They look good today. Thank your you. Hair, your Thanks, heads, Alice. And your, yet, your look good. And yet... Mine looks good too. Thanks, Tony yeah. and Guy Northampton. Thank you. It does yeah. look good, yeah. Yeah, yeah whatever. Uh, and yet, I don't know what kind of filthy combs they were using on it, because um, Barbicide doesn't really go with the aesthetics of the place I get my hair cut, because it's all like white colour scheme, and I don't think the bright blue right. would... Be, it would be disharmonious. I mean, I hate to play into American stereotypes of how dirty and filthy we all are in Britain, but <laughs> definitely our levels of hygiene, it seems, in barbershops is not as high because this is not a generic product you see everywhere in the UK. Yeah, although my hairdresser is Swedish and she started the salon, so do you think of Sweden as being a cleaner place than Britain? Yes, I think I generally do. And it's all bright white, which is very clean looking. Sure. And it's called the clinic with a K. So clinics tend to be clean and having the extra letter K even more clean <laughs> with a K. I recommend it, by the way. Clinic, Exmouth Market, woman called Anna. Right. My hair has not been nearly as shit since I started going there. <laughs> what a review. Terrible She's going to put that straight on the window, isn't she? My hair's not been nearly as shit since coming here. <laughs> <laughs> it's got two Ks. Um... Yeah, so I don't think it's ever really caught on here, although we do obviously have disinfectant. I think the danger here is that people are such pissheads that they try and drink it. Well, um, the blueness uh, is just for dramatic effect. It's a brand identity thing. Um, uh, But um, obviously by colouring it blue, you are kind of possibly, arguably making it more attractive like more compelling aren't you people will mm. as as nora has looked across the room and, and say oh what's what's that i don't think people would drink it but i do think in a way it's a slightly strange product to have made sexy well if you consider bright blue to be well, sexy sexier than like disinfectant for metals. Yeah. yeah if it was like sort of dingy grayish beige which which most disinfectants are i mean this yeah. is why in 1947 when the brand was invented it, it managed to break through and become the predominant one not only because it was blue which was the novelty but also because apparently i have to go mm-hmm. on the information provided by barbicide's own website here <laughs> so I, I can't independently verify this it's probably partial isn't it? it is probably partial but according to their website uh, theirs is the only product of its type that keeps its color uh, because it's wow. a concentrate Ooh. so you add water to it uh, this is answering another one of, of nora's questions you know how often uh, does it does it get changed in the canister uh, you can keep refilling it, and apparently Barbicide is the brand leader because it keeps its colour. Oh, stays yeah. blue, even as you continue to dilute it. Yeah, but if you just keep topping it up and keep topping it up, how much disgusting detritus <laughs> is there at the bottom of the cylinder? It's like when I go and get um, a blood donation, 
when I go and do a blood donation, not I was receive one. Say, why did you um, go? Just to, go to one of your dodgy black market places. Just to perk, perk me up. Helen gets her blood changed every twelve months. <laughs> That's how I stay so young. Um, and they they prick your finger and drop it into a small vial of blue liquid to test your iron levels. So mm. if it sinks, then you have enough iron in your blood to go ahead with the donation. And so at the bottom of this cylinder is just a little pile of people's blood drops. Which are a little creepy. So I'm imagining in the barber side, it's full of dead nits and stuff like yes, that. Yes, it probably Skin is. Yeah. Do you think it's so strong that the teeth of the comb get rotted away by it? No, that was another brand strength. Oh. Uh, again, according to barbicide.com, uh, the <laughs> the product is not so strong that it rusts metal. It's not a secret for its success. So a Great. barber can leave his scissors or hers, but you know, generally male barbers leave leave his scissors in the barbicide for perhaps four or five nights. Wow. You know, long weekend. Come mm. back, take the scissors out. Fine, no rust. Okay. Yeah. Um, Miracle disinfectant. And there's not been any competitor that thought I can take some of Barbicide's glory by making pink Barbicide. I think I think that there must have been, but I, I guess the fact that they became, like I say, this legally sanctioned product, that's, I mean, that's a state monopoly, isn't it? I'm sort of surprised yeah. it was allowed to happen. Do you happen to know why in 1947 suddenly Barbicide became de rigueur? I think, again, colour. Just simply that this guy had it was kind of invented in quite a mum and pop way, like in his basement home or something. He was a scientist, but you right. know, he brought this batch of disinfectant into his local barber and said, "You should use this," and it looked funky. Right. So it wasn't after an epidemic of uh, transmittable scalp diseases. Well, no, Mister Harold Barberside was like, you, "I can fix this." The Great Cradle Cap Epidemic of nineteen forty-six. No, yeah. but if you, if you do think, I mean, nineteen forty-seven, you have got people coming back from the war, so actually, you know, you can imagine that people come with all kinds of weird nits and stuff in their head. So, hmm. kind of figures. Especially New York as well, you know, it's the first place, isn't it, that people land from Europe, so... Is that where Mr. Barbicide was? Mr. King, his name is, uh-huh. was. Yes, yes. King uh, Barbicide. Queens, I believe. <laughs> King Barbicide, yeah. Well, also, they often have a pestilence problem in New York because people are so closely packed. So mm. there's this whole bedbugs problem there because it's so easy to transmit bedbugs from one to the other. It's me a little bit itchy, this conversation now. Just mm. just douse New York in Barbicide. <laughs> like in Ghostbusters too. Yeah, that is probably what's going to happen in the next Independence Day. They are running out of ideas. <laughs> Let's take a break now for our intermission and hear a little bit of Answer Me This from the past. The past, the past. Our archive content, or the first 200 episodes of Answer Me This, are available to buy, and they are only available to buy. Uh, We are occasionally releasing uh, content on our free feed, as you know, for a limited period only. But if you want to dip into the entire back catalogue, the only way you can do that uh, is by buying them from iTunes or from Amazon or from our own website, answermethisstore.com. Here is a little taster of our classic content uh, from episode 143 from 2010. Greg says, Helen, answer me this. Why are the slices of toast used for dunking in boiled eggs called soldiers? Greg, that's really obvious. I can't believe you can't work that out for yourself. Why is it obvious? Go on. Because there's... They're like an army, aren't they? They're like an army of little soldiers oh, that yeah. you bring into... They'll look kill you soon as look at you. A little army of soldiers for little Lolly to dip into his eggy. Patronise me. They don't really look like soldiers in the first well, They're not detailed. They don't, they've got, they're not like Madame Tussauds, Helen. They've but, you not know. got uniforms and they lie in a big pile. If soldiers lay in a big pile, it'd be disastrous. Well, that's what they tend to do at the end of the battle. I'm sure I remember my parents um, discussing with me the different ranks of the soldiers, like, hey, the really thick one, which has the crust on, is the sergeant major. <laughs> And then the, one in the, the thin one in the middle of the corporal. Martin couldn't eat for hours because he had to arrange his men on a detailed map of France. <laughs> Here is a question from Abby, who says, I live in the US and I'm a professional opera singer. Being an opera singer means I'm obliged to put up with probing questions from patrons and donors who believe that because their donations pay my salary like me and Radiotopia, they can ask me absolutely anything. Questions have ranged from the intrusive, why are all mezzo-sopranos lesbians? To the downright bizarre, why are your ears so small? Hmm. I'd say more from the general to the specific there rather than (laughs) intrusive to the bizarre. Who can answer why their ears are however sized they are? It's just how big your ears are. Abby says, I've learned to deal with these questions through long experience. But what disturbs me now is that more and more people with powerful roles within the opera industry have started asking these intrusive questions specifically about my personal and romantic life. I recently had the general director of a major opera company ask me, in front of a group of people, when my last romantic relationship was. Hmm. Upon learning that I had not, in fact, had any romantic relationships, through personal choice, I might add, 
He demanded to know how I could possibly feel qualified to sing about love without any personal experience. And with such small ears. (laughs) (laughs) How can all these people play hobbits when they've never had experience of Middle Earth? Ah. So, Ollie, answer me this. Should I concoct a fake girlfriend or boyfriend who lives in Canada? Or is there another way to deflect such lines of questioning? That's the only way. Someone asks you about your personal life, you don't want to talk about it. Invent a fake boyfriend or girlfriend who lives in Canada. Yeah. It's the only way. Well known. (laughs) What happens in Canada stays in Canada. (laughs) I'm not the best liar, says Abby, and I'd prefer not to have to stage an imaginary breakup if I ever do meet someone I want to date. Mm. However, I feel I'm at a disadvantage when people consider me too innocent or inexperienced in my personal life to perform the roles I've trained for. Right. Wow. I mean, look, I I do understand the frustration because they wouldn't say, oh, you've never assisted a demon barber and turned his victims into pies. (laughs) You know, therefore you cannot play this part. Oh, you've never thrown yourself off some battlements. Sorry, can't be Tosca. (laughs) But I think they would, to take that example, they would expect you to get into the mind of a murderer. So they'd expect you to have an answer to the question, you know, what in your personal life have you drawn on as an actor, as a performer? And unfortunately... You know, thanks to us living in this post-method, post-Stanislavski, Strasbourgian world, that's the kind of bullshit that all actors have to put up with, whether that's their they, method or not. Or at least they have to act like there's have that to pretend. method. Exactly. They could just be thinking about what, what they're going to have for dinner rather than actually about empathising with a murderer. I do think she should make some shit up there. It seems like an inappropriately intrusive question. And if you can cultivate an air of mystique and say, well, of course, I, I'm drawing upon a very sad time of my life and then just act like you don't want to talk about it. That's probably... And you're an actor, you can do that. I asked a friend who's an opera singer for her input on this and she said you could just invent a heartbreak that is so upsetting you can't talk about it, which saves you having to invent the boyfriend or girlfriend in Canada. So she did recognise this issue? Uh, Well, she said um, they are really inappropriate, but they they always do happen. And she also said there are a lot of opera singers who are celibate by choice or just don't have a relationship. It's quite an inconvenient job. There's a lot of travelling and... Mm. That surprises me, though. I mean, there's lots of other jobs that are inconvenient. We don't see stand-up comedians going, I've given up sex for my profession. No, but you do probably get stand-ups being asked in a bar about their relationship histories. And effectively, that is what's happening to our questionnaire here, isn't it? She's yeah. gone got off to meet donors. They mm. probably are opera fans if they donate. You know, let's take them at their yeah. philanthropic word. They probably think if they ask you a question about what's, you know, what's your favourite movement or whatever, that that's a cliché. And so they try and think of something interesting to ask you. And so they probably think, oh, how can you relate to this character you're playing who has a heart broken? But it's just not appropriate, is it, to ask a stranger that? They probably think, well, I've paid for this, so uh, I own I own this person. I can it ask what so I want. inappropriate in anything that's sort of a vaguely work context. Yeah. You know, and if it's your, you know, musical director or, or the head of the uh, opera house, that's even worse. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a weird power dynamic as well. In that situation, you're under no compulsion at all to tell the truth. But- yeah. Yeah, that's right. But then if you also don't feel like you have to lie because this is your choice, then I can understand why you wouldn't want to lie just to just mm. to stop them doing this thing that they shouldn't be doing. But the trouble is, if you say that's not an appropriate question, you know that you are more dispensable because there are a lot of people who are opera singers and not that many opera singer jobs. But you should have an answer to the question, shouldn't you? What experiences have you drawn on in your portrayal of this character? And the the answer doesn't have to be what they're steering you towards. You can Mm. say, well, I don't have anything in my personal life that's like this, but I did read a story about this person or my aunt did this and I thought about that. I mean, that's fine. You just need to to, to channel the question to something else. Inspiration comes from everywhere. Be a politician, basically. Because I'd imagine if you had had relationships like the relationships portrayed in opera, then (laughs) it'd be a pretty rough life. so many cases and you just suddenly die i mean as a woman you just suddenly die tough shit consumption or whatever or maybe you and another opera singer could uh, have an arrangement with each other where if they're also getting these inappropriate questions you are each other's defense so you could pretend you're in a relationship with that person and then vice versa and you could make up an elaborate backstory together at least two of you have to fake the falling you could you could do that but then as soon as you want to be in a relationship then dramatic breakup You're performers. Just think of this as another performance. In the 90s, I hired a 12-person web team To build and run my websites and I realised my tech dream Then the dot-com bubble burst and I had to drown them in a stream 
Why didn't I just sack them? But now, thanks to Squarespace, you can do it alone And build a lovely website for tablet or smartphone Enjoy it now, cause in ten years you'll be replaced by a drone Just like Terminator 3 Thanks very much to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This. Yes, and Whee! thank you, Squarespace, for bestowing beautiful websites upon the world. Or bestowing better than that, Ollie. Yeah. Give a man a beautiful website and yeah. he'll have a website for day. Teach him how to make a beautiful yeah. website and he'll have websites for life. That's right, yes. Uh, what I mean is Squarespace mm. makes it easy for you to beget a beautiful website yourself. With Squarespace's drag-and-drop tools and award-winning templates, you can build a website extremely quickly and with very little fuss, although if you run into some fuss, they do have 24-7 customer support available online. They do, uh, and those people are very helpful. And if you want to prove this to yourself, there's a two-week free trial, so you can get in there and start building and yes. seeing what Squarespace can do for you and, and your it does, idea. It doesn't matter what you're building, actually. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, a portfolio. Well, it has to be a website. It does have to be a website. Like, not a Lego castle or but something. What I mean is, it, it can be a portfolio yeah. of work you've done at college, or it can be the uh, website that features the menu of your Michelin-styled restaurant. They really do have templates that kind of covers every base and will match exactly the image you're trying to project. And if you want to sign up for a year and get 10% off, then you can do that by using our discount code, ANSWER. Here's a question from David, who says, Kilroy was here, used to be seen spray-painted and graffitied all over London. Did it? I wouldn't say all over London. I think the front of Buckingham Palace did not have it on. I mean, I've literally never seen it. I think it's slightly before our time, Ollie. Oh, right. I think it had peaked in popularity a while before we would have been sentient. Uh, He says, Helen, answer me this. Who was Kilroy and why did we care where he was? Okay. Was this some sort of reference to Robert Kilroy Silk? No, it predates Robert Kilroy Silk's uh, public persona. I was going to say, but not the man himself because he's obviously 200 years old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was a meme before memes, really. Right. It probably originated in a shipyard in Quincy, Massachusetts. Like all the best things. During World War II, the United States was producing a lot of warships. Wow. And Fuck, tanks really and planes does go back and stuff. Yes, it does. World War II. And Quincy was a pretty busy shipyard. Uh-huh. And in it worked a man called James J. Kilroy, who was an inspector of rivets. So he (laughs) would have to check all of the rivets on the ships. And rivet inspectors got paid per rivet, which meant that there was often a bit of funny business with rivet inspectors where they pretended to have inspected other people's rivets. So to avoid that, James Kilroy would write, Kilroy was here on the rivet so people could see that he'd already done on those each rivet yeah, I was going to say it was messy all, isn't it on all the rivets it's in like... chalk now what used to happen was all of these chalk marks made by the rivet inspectors would get painted over before the ships went out but ah. in World ah. War 2 they were so busy they just had to send the ships out and then the American military personnel were like what is this Kilroy was here that we're seeing all over the ships and and to them it was quite talismanic um i suppose a bit like a protective force because it did mean the ship had been checked properly and so then they started writing kilroy was here in the places where they were posted as well and uh, apparently this really confused a lot of the people so like japanese troops saw it painted on the side of a bomb shelter and they were like we need to find this kilroy <laughs> and um, it's everywhere and apparently this sounds like bullshit but apparently hitler thought that kilroy was a super spy yeah that's bullshit yeah. how would hitler have ended up in a position where he was inspecting rivets he had other things to do i i don't think he would have known that it was from the rivets because it then became this very common thing to write on a wall and then it caught on everywhere rivets or no however the, the reason why they could trace it back to this james j kilroy Uh, was because his marks were in places where you couldn't graffiti because he would have marked it before the ship was put together. Mm. I think people will probably still write it nowadays because a lot of people have the urge to write on the wall, but when the opportunity arises, they don't actually have anything to say. So you just fall back on the stock phrases. Here's a question from Claire in Manchester who says, My boyfriend was with his first love for two and a half years and he's told me she is the only other girl he has loved alongside myself it's good that you're honest with each other yeah apart from myself would be better than alongside wouldn't it that suggests uh, contemporaneous loving Mm. probably just a grammatical quirk my boyfriend has offered for her his ex to have access to our joint netflix account and she made herself a profile so she's getting it for free this occurrence got under my skin as personally i believe there should be certain boundaries 
between serious exes. And as people have been saying since time immemorial, Netflix is <laughs> yeah. one of those boundaries. Uh, yeah, not child custody, Netflix. <laughs> I'm okay with them being friends, continues Claire, as I trust him, but I'm not comfortable seeing her name every time I sign into Netflix. That is fair. Or her being able to see what we watch. Could you make it so her profile has a funny name? Jazz Flaps. That's what Martin would call it. Absolutely. That's what I'd call it. Yeah. What, would, what would Martin say, Mando? Uh, I haven't checked whether you can make your Netflix viewing private to people that share your profiles. I have wondered about it because uh, my friend Nick Vanderkolk of Love and Radio was staying in our flat when we weren't in it. And I thought it's the kind of thing Nick would do would be to go into our Netflix profile and either be scathing about what we'd been watching or add a load of really horrible stuff to skew our recommendations. thing is, if Nick just went into our account and watched the th- kind of things he would naturally watch, it would massively fuck our, rec- our recommendations. <laughs> My answer to this, I, I suspect, might be different to yours. Mm-hmm. She says, We've both been very stubborn and not changing our opinion on the matter, leading to us sleeping in separate rooms last night. Oh, it's getting serious. Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't fancy sleeping on the sofa for the rest of the week. So Helen answered me this, do you think it's okay for my boyfriend to share our Netflix account with an ex? Now, usually I'm preaching that people should uh, be very forgiving and inclusive with exes. Cause you're like, why do you hate them? Because you have this thing in common. And if they were so bad, why would they have gone out with them? Blah, blah, blah. But I do feel like this case, it's slightly over a line. Or like why? she's what's well, the line that it's crossed? I think she's intruding into your life a bit more than you're comfortable with, and that's the point, isn't it? It's not about her just watching Netflix for free. Although, get your own Netflix account, woman. It's not that expensive, but mm. it's the fact that she feels like a presence in your current relationship, and you want your boyfriend to prioritize you over her. I don't think I'd see it as a symbol of their continuing union in the same way that I would if she turned up every time we went out for a drink. I just skip past that screen. But it's also a, it's sort of an overlap of their lives, yeah. isn't it? And so it's it's. I mean, it would be a bit like I don't know, like her having a a pigeonhole for her mail in your house or a drawer of her stuff. You feel mm. like she's coming into your household too much. Actually, I, when you put it like that, yeah, I can sort of see that. I think though the interesting and revealing thing about this is that Claire herself references the fact that it's free as part of the reason that this irks her. Whereas she should be giving you the slightly under three quid a month for a third of a Netflix account. Exactly, which is ridiculous. So that's the thing. If you rationalise what you actually want in return, if it's irking you that she's getting it for free and Mm. you're paying for his ex-girlfriend, I mean, really, that is 30 quid a year. Are you really saying that if she gave you 30 quid a year, that would change everything? Right. There's a sort of principle of it, though, isn't there? I mean, I'm sure there's people that Claire doesn't spend 30 pounds a year on who are her actual friends. And yet her boyfriend is, is imposing this uh, ex-girlfriend tax on her. And why should she have to pay it at all? I think there are uh, approximately two scenarios in which your partner has a close relationship with an ex. Either they're so over it and they've moved on from that part of their relationship so much they've managed to forge a completely new friendship that is strong but no longer romantic at all. Or they're still holding a candle for that person and maybe Claire is worried that it's the latter. But maybe she could go on the ex's profile and add loads of things like the (laughs) 80s and 90s psychodramas about a vengeful ex or something like that. (laughs) Perhaps you could just add loads of things where you think it'd be very hard for her to think romantic thoughts about your boyfriend whilst watching them, whatever that would be. What would that be for you? Things that you could not feel sexual or romantic whilst watching anything? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think most 80s comedies directed by Ivan Reitman Twins would be a good one. Okay, great. Great suggestion. I mean, I saw that, you know, in a a pre-sexual phase of my life. Yeah, that documentary where someone's suing McDonald's for scalding their crotch with McDonald's (laughs) coffee. That. You're worried about her looking at your Netflix viewing habits, but have you done that to her, Claire? Yeah. Is that why you're worried about it? Because you've had a little snoop? I think maybe that's the way to passively aggressively deal with this, actually, because obviously in person you're being all sweetness and light because apparently your ex is great friends with this person and everything's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Next time you see her, you could just drop into the conversation. Oh, it's really interesting to see that you got two thirds of the way through series three, episode five of that series. Uh, We made it five minutes further on. Even better. You could see if she's like one episode off the end of Breaking Bad and just spoiler it for her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be good. <laughs> then she'd get her own Netflix account. How many social networks are you on? Vivo, Friendster, Path, You, Porn, MySpace, Ping, and Google 
this URL Facebook.com slash answer me this Or Twitter.com slash Helen and Dolly But please don't follow us in real life Here's a question from Paul who says Today in the office we were discussing Gary Lineker and how he has advertised Walker's crisps for over 20 years. Longer than both his marriages. His commitment to Walker's has been longer than to his wife's. Wow, okay. Uh, I'm not being judgmental, it's just an interesting fact. That's a long relationship with Walker's, is my point, rather than shaming Gary Lineker for having a short marriage. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Paul says, Ollie, answer me this. Who has been advertising a product for the longest? I'm guessing there will be some kind of lifetime sponsorship deals for some athletes, but we're talking about appearing in actual adverts. Okay, well, I I sort of see the distinction that you're making because, yeah, there are kind of lifetime brand ambassadors, I suppose you could call it. Yeah. Um, You know, people who advertise perfumes for 20 years or whatever or slap their name on it. Or they have um, their sponsor's name on their shirts throughout their career. Yeah, so Andy Murray for Nike or whatever. Yeah, but you want... Gary Adidas? Obviously hasn't worked on me. Don't give a shit. (laughs) Um, But you want the full-on Gary Lineker is the major character in uh, getting up to Walker's Mischief or or Rowan Atkinson doing the... Was it Barclay Card It was Barclay Card, yes. Mm. It was quite a few years. It was, yeah. And he's he's in a different campaign now, isn't he, Rowan Atkinson? Who does he advertise now? Uh, I've forgotten. I think as bean, but I can't remember the products. Again, obviously right. not a very successful campaign. Anyway. Uh, baked beans would make sense, wouldn't it, for Rowan Atkinson? Yes, Mr. it would. Beans. They must have, they well, must it's about something that. where you're a ninja and then you become Mr. Bean because you haven't had your Mars bar or something. Yes, that's right. Yes, he was in oh, the yeah. uh, Snickers campaign. You're absolutely right. right yeah, well the one done. that they Snickers, did with Joan Collins right. more successfully. It's, yeah. It really works getting celebs into advertise <laughs> your product. Really you remember well. exactly what the product yeah, like, is. Oh, yeah, Rowan Atkinson. He tastes good. Yeah. Anyway. So Gary Lineker, how long has he been the face of Walker's Crisp? 20 years. Really? Actually 20 years? Not hyperbole from the from Paul no no that, I mean I, I presume the reason that unless he works uh, in an advertising office that they were discussing this mm. in his place of work was it was recently in the press that Gary Lineker and Walkers have celebrated their 20th year together did they make a special flavour um, whatever the no, 20th wedding really anniversary that. was they like... did they did salt and Lineker uh, about six or seven years ago do you think when they get to 40 years they'll make ruby flavoured crisps or something I think when he dies mm. they will turn him into crisps <laughs> <laughs> that's what he would have wanted um, salt and shake uh, but no, I think they just sort of did a, a press call, basically, mm-hmm. because, and I, I'm sorry that the answer is is n- not particularly exciting because you've already mentioned it, people seem to believe, I have not seen evidence to the contrary, that in Britain at least, this is the longest ever celebrity endorsement of a product for someone actually appearing in adverts himself. It is mm-hmm. Gary Lineker in the Walker's ads. And there was lots of people sort of speculating as to why that would be. And it seems to boil down to the fact that in the very early ads, I'm just going back 20 years, so I barely remember them, but he was prepared to take the piss out of himself when yeah. he was a sportsman and an athlete. I mean, it's hard to remember now because he's a TV personality. But even 20 years ago, he'd kind of retired from active service, hadn't he? And he was doing question of sport type gigs. Y- yes, but it was rare then to have a sports personality Advertising junk foods. Um, yeah, well, that's the other thing. It's not a chocolate bar. I that's think right. the, the, feeling, the feeling is that eaten in moderation... It's not an absurd tie-up to say mm. this sports person enjoys the odd packet of crisps. Yeah, but crisps are not good for you. Absolutely. Unfortunately. But it's it, it because he'd retired and because he was taking the piss out of himself, it wasn't saying, I mean, it was on a subliminal level, but it wasn't saying like, you know, Usain Bolt advertising KFC or whatever. Mm-hmm. It wasn't saying, <laughs> eat Walker's crisps and you will be a successful fit athlete. It was mm. saying, you know... This successful fit man that, hey, guys, you want to be and women you want to sleep with. I know that seems improbable. We're talking about Gary Lineker, but 20 years ago. (laughs) uh, This guy, he eats crisps in moderation, and that's cool. Do you think they chose him because they thought of the wordplay salt and Lineker for salt and vinegar and thought, well, let's see if he's willing? Do you you know what? I think it's just lightning in a bottle. I just think it was lucky. I think sometimes you just... Like, sometimes the brand ambassador seems perfect. Like, Kerry Katona was snapped up to uh, advertise a payday loan company... Oh. Um, but then she was actually after bankrupt Iceland. after Iceland. Yes, yeah. so she used to. Yeah, she was a good match for selling prawn rings, wasn't she? It really depended on what was happening in her private life. <laughs> yes, the family image was problematic, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, when she was losing her money, advertising payday loans company just felt uncomfortable. Yeah. So you know, sometimes you get the right person, it feels wrong. Sometimes you get the wrong person, uh, Iggy Pop on Swift cover, and somehow it's right. Oh yeah. Well, John Lydon advertising margarine—that was uh, a bit weird. 
Yeah. Although actually with the Iggy Pop one, do you remember there was that story that uh, Swift cover wouldn't actually insure musicians? <laughs> yeah. They actually had to change their policy to reflect the fact that they now could insure Iggy Pop. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Answer Me This. But if you want to be on next month's episode of Answer Me This, then send us a question by email, phone or Skype. And you can find our contact details on our website, answermethispodcast.com. Our next new Answer Me This will be out on the first Thursday of June. But... In between, there will be a retro episode of Answer Me This with our reflections from the present <laughs> upon our past worse sounds, selves. Sounds like VH1 storytelling. <laughs> sort of. It's more like a, a tiny director's commentary. It is. Uh, it's, it's good. It's, it's good. It's more self-flagellating you know, yeah, than yeah, that yeah, because sure. uh, I find my past self to be an ignorant fuckhead. You can tell that Helen doesn't write pitch documents, can't you? But it's, <laughs> it's worth listening to. Not successful ones. Uh, and if that's not enough listening matter for you, then you can get a free Audible audiobook if you go to answermethispodcast.com slash Audible. Indeed. And if you need something else to listen to for the rest of the month, even more than that, uh, remember that we have our own individual podcasts as well. Uh, My One, The Modern Man is on a break at the moment, but do check out the other show that I'm doing, The Week Unwrapped. Uh, It's a weekly discussion show about news and current affairs, which I host for The Week magazine. And you do the media podcast, don't you? I do. You can listen to that as well, themediapodcast.com. I have The Illusionist at theillusionist.org. And also this month, I'm starting to host Forethought on Radio 4. I think that kicks off on the 17th of May, but also there's a podcast. There's going to be a some... podcast for that too. Oh, there already is one. Oh, okay. uh, It's been it's going be for years. It's going to be even better with added Zoltz- now with added yeah, Zoltzman. Well, the podcast does have <laughs> added Zoltzman in it, whereas uh, the broadcast version has about 30 seconds of Zoltzman in it. Okay, right. That's yeah. the correct amount because then it goes on to have about 15 minutes of someone more clever and interesting than me. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to have that balanced out by more Helen, then do check out that podcast too. And Martin, you have a podcast as well. Uh, yeah, it's called Song by Song. It's, uh, we are, we're talking about every Tom Waits song in chronological order. You've now reached the stage where he was covering Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I believe. <laughs> we had a Whitney Houston song in one of them, because we do an interval track. We have like the main track, and then we have an interval track uh-huh. as counterpoint. So we had some That's Whitney. not by Tom Waits. Had, right, means. yes. Yeah, yeah, which is by another artist. So we had Whitney, Whitney Houston, we had Kylie Minogue, which is not just all about Tom Waits, guys. Wow. It's mostly about Tom Waits, though. And but Waits, there's more. That's what you should say. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's a, that's a new little segment for you. <laughs> Waits, nice Waits, don't tell me. Uh, and if you enjoy our work so much, that you'd like to give us some of your money for fuck all then please do donate it's easy just go to paypal.me slash answer me this thanks not tax deductible or anything no no reason but just some people are generous some people express and all rich some people express affection with money yeah and if that's you that's how you can do it can be our friend too (laughs) right well uh we hope you join us again in a month yes see you in june Bye. bye